Warning. The podcast you are about to experience may contain content that isn't suitable for younger audiences. So, if any of you feel that you do not care to subject your nerves to such a strain, now is your chance to... Well, we've warned you. Welcome to Villainology, a podcast revolving around our favorite personifications of humanity's darker side, and what truly makes them the scourge of their respective worlds. I am your host, Rob Mobley, and we hope that you've had your coffee, because I can guarantee that this episode is going to be positively electric. For those of you that are new here, the basic idea is that I present each guest an opportunity to discuss at length someone who is widely considered to be a villain, and to offer their own personal insight as to why they find them so intriguing. These opinions are totally subjective, and I find that hearing the thoughts of other people on someone you either love to hate or hate to love helps to better understand these characters as a whole. Our guest today is someone who doesn't require much of an introduction at all. I first met him while watching football in New York with some mutual friends, and by watching, it was mostly me talking about everything except football to the poor guy. He's a two-time Tony Award nominee and is known most recently for playing a certain ghost with the most, Mr. Alex Brightman. Welcome to the show. That was a very, very good, very good introduction. I, I feel it almost sounds like that was almost a eulogy. I sound... <laughs> It sounds like it should have been like, at the end of that, you should have said, found dead under a highway, Alex Brightman. Oh, God, yes. Uh, feel free to call me up on that horrible, horrible you'd be No, you'd be, the, you'd be the prime suspect now that you've said all that. God damn it. Please, FBI, if you're listening to this, don't, they're, they're uh, not. don't look at me. <laughs> <laughs> what do you look for in a good villain? I, well, by the way, having played recently what would be widely known as a villain... Um, even though a charming, ridiculous, you know, fourth wall breaking villain, the big thing I always kept in mind when I always learned about, I love villains. I love horror movies. I love suspense thrillers and the villains are always so interesting. But the thing you hear about a lot as an actor is when you play a villain, you have to sympathize. You must sympathize with your villain. You have to, you have to know that what in their head, what they're doing is correct. They're not judging themselves. So you are not allowed to judge them either. And I think the best played villains are the ones where people really dig in, whether like it. I was thinking before we did this podcast, I was thinking who I was going to choose. And I was thinking like the really hardcore, like, you know, sociopath, psychopath, like Anton Chigger, you know, from uh, No Country for Old Men. Sure. Or like, you know, just or versus somebody like Tommy Lee Jones's Two-Face, you know, like <laughs> there's there is something sadistic in both, but they're both played up in two different types of ways and tones. So, but either way, either both of them, if you really look, and I, I meant to what I said, you know, joking or not, he really plays for, he believes he's doing the right thing, you know, and a lot of good villains do that. So I look for a true blue villain. I also like three-dimensional villains too. I like ones that I can relate to. I don't, I, that's why I don't watch a ton of cartoon. Sometimes I don't feel like I can relate to like, you know, Bowser. <laughs> I mean, who <laughs> <But> does? <laughs> yeah, that's what I mean. But like, you know, I like, I like my, I like my villains. Like if, if, if things went the wrong way for me, I could see myself being that person. Or I, if I, there's something very terrifying about seeing part of you in a mirror somewhere. 
Like you look at that mirror and you're like, part of that's me. And that's terrifying because everybody has a little bit of that in them. And also villains are like the ultimate ego. Like it's the ultimate ego and id thing. So sometimes you're like, I wish I had the balls to be that dastardly. Um, You know, obviously without causing any mayhem or harm to people, but there is obviously, it's why we're drawn to Hannibal Lecter. It's why we're drawn to people like that. They're just like, we are interested in them because we are so not them. And yet when we really look inside, we're like, but I wish I could be a little bit of that. You want to taste it just a little bit. bit. Yeah, sure. So with all of that being said, tell us, Alex Brightman, which villain have you chosen? The villain I have chosen for this evening, for the Midnight Society. (laughs) (laughs) Big fan of Are You Afraid of the Dark? The villain I have chosen is somebody who, on the outset, could look misunderstood and misguided. But if you dig just one layer deeper, is a true blue sociopathic human being of a character with almost zero redeeming factors. And that character is from the Green Mile, and his name is Percy Wetmore. Percy? You want to think about what you were doing just now? I was trying to get the mouse. Are you blind? You're also scared the living crap out of me and Bill. Not to mention the inmates. So what? They aren't in cradle school, in case you didn't notice. Although you treat them that way half the time. We don't scare them any more than we have to, Percy. They're under enough strain as it is. Men under strain can snap, hurt themselves, and hurt others. That's why our job is talking, not yelling. You'd do better to think of this place like it's an intensive care ward of a hospital. I think of it as a bucket of piss to drown rats in. That's all. Anybody doesn't like it? Hmm? You can kiss my ass. God, oh, he is just such a creep. So, why- by the way, sorry, just to stop you, played by kind of a creep. Also true. I mean, like there, he's an incredible actor, but and I don't really know him, so I actually feel oddly remiss for saying this. But he was in so many articles that came out about him dating someone super, like way younger, and he was like, you know, sort of like lauded as some actual sort of real life weirdo. Which again, you know. I have no bones about that because I don't live his life, but I did. I did think it was kind of interesting that the actor that played him also had like touches of the Percy in him. Mm, That's uh, I don't even want to think about that. (laughs) But uh, speaking of why him, why Percy Wetmore? Well, the green mile is my favorite property. Like it's my favorite story. It's my, it's my, it was a, a serialized novel by Stephen King and I read it that way. My dad told me about it um, when the movie was coming out. And he's like, I remember reading that and you had to wait. Like you you read it in 12 parts. You had to wait for each one and each one cliff hung. And I just like was enamored with that idea. And I'd never done that before. So I read it and I was like, you know, I've never been so disturbed by a book. I was so like freaked out and I felt so sick. And this character of Percy Wetmore, you know, I'm so used to as an actor and as an avid reader of plays and narrative arcs that like, the bad guy either gets what's coming to him or he changes his ways. And Percy gets sort of both and neither in the book and in the movie. And it's really upsetting. You know, even though he's this horrendous, horrible, horrific person who does really, really nasty stuff and has a nasty soul, there is this part of you that pines for him when he gets what's coming to him, which I think is why it's so complicated and wonderful. 
and the movie i think does it uh, expertly i think that they the whole movie and also just as a side note the green mile why it's my favorite movie other than the fact that i think it's brilliantly written acted and directed it's the very first movie that i ever saw I saw it in the theater for the very first time, but it's the very first time I ever saw a movie that I had to be escorted out of before it was over because it had disturbed me so much that I was having like a panic attack. Wow. And that's true. My dad, my mom just, I was told my mom I was coming on and she goes, do you remember when dad had to take you out of the theater? And I was like, yeah, by the way, not that long ago. Like it's no. not, I wasn't like a kid. I was like in high school, but I was violently disturbed. And so the first time I saw the, sh- the movie, I never saw the whole thing. And when I went back and finally wanted to see it, cause I had this pull to go see it. Again, like when it happened, I remember like it's and I still can't watch that movie without having such strong reactions to it. It also has just one of the saddest endings ever. And I always cry. But yeah, I, I've always been struck by when, you know, especially when you asked villains, you know, you, I, when I th- see the word villain, I think, you know, Lex Luthor. Sure. Like, I think like v- villain has a very pedestal feel of like superhero villain. Like villain seems mythic to me, mm-hmm. but when I think of like a tr- like what a villain really is, like the the antithesis of what the main characters are striving towards, Percy is like the ultimate roadblock to all of the characters in in this story. So I chose him because he's re- he's very real. They never play him up as anything like a mo- any monster, and he's a very real person. And in fact, they play him as a slight person. He's short. He's meek. He has a Napoleonic complex. And he is always kind of wet. Like he's always like sweating. So he's like, not your like ideal human being. So he has no real reason to be an asshole, but he is one, which is what makes it so much more weird. What do you think? Well, speaking of what do you think drives his cruelty so much? Privilege. I think that, I think that he's a product of privilege because he's the governor's son. The governor's son? The governor's nephew, I think. Governor's nephew. The governor's nephew. Right. Which is even worse. Like that's even like to sort of like take that and go... Yeah, so I can do whatever I want because I'm the governor's sister's son. <laughs> yeah. Like, but I think it comes out of privilege. I think that it is a great thing to talk about. And by the way, right now is that like people sometimes don't even know they're doing something wrong. It's just what's always been. I'm going to be mean to poor people. I'm going to be mean to incarcerated black men. I'm going to be mean to gay guys. I'm going to be mean to authority because I've never gotten in trouble. So why will I, why would I ever get in trouble? So that grows. That's a weed. That type of privilege is a weed. And I think that in Percy, it just grew really rapidly real quick. And the fact that his whole life revolved around the prison system, basically, he knows. I mean, he in the movie, he sort of even says it. He basically, I'm not even really here because I like this job. He's like, I'm here because I want to treat people like shit. Like he gets off on it uh, because he knows he'll get away with it. Oh, God. I... mm. Yeah, I mean, you hit the nail on the head when you're saying that, you know, we know people like this. That yeah. level of underlying psychotic in a way. Yeah. Where if, if you knew if you gave them just a little bit of that, that, a little taste of power, you knew that they would just go run with it. His, I mean, his whole persona is, what are you going to do? Because you, you hit this rock in a hard place when you try to uh, reprimand someone like that. Because either they won't listen or they'll go tell daddy. You know, and and either one is stupid, but either one kind of works. So like because it's worked forever. And so I you know, that that's a dangerous creature to sort of you know, and not to get too you know current and political, but like we're seeing that in action right now. Like that is the most Trumpian shit I've ever seen in my life. It's Jared Kushner. I mean, like it's like it's this, oh, it's sure. this and it sort of fits the bill a little bit. And I'm not going to talk about this the whole time, I promise. But, you know, who's not talking about all this? 
but he's this guy that is like well-dressed sort of kempt and then when you just peel back one layer it's like full-blown no limit sociopath who cannot who by the way in my opinion kind of like percy they know they're doing the wrong thing and they're not not just getting away with it but liking it like they're getting off on it like there's something not and i kind of mean getting off on it in the way in the stephen king way like i think actually percy gets an as like a sexual lift from being powerful and that's not something uncommon but i think it's really really why again he's always kind of sweating when things get high stakes he's always looking to like twist the knife just a bit further because it feels so good you almost you almost if you were to look close to his eyes you'd almost expect to see his eyes dilate from just shark yes what do you think stephen king was trying to say with this character in particular i mean what i think because i haven't done a ton of research uh although even just now like in the last 10 minutes i'm like i should look up more stuff about this because i just like the movie like i'm not a scholar on many movies i'm a scholar on two movies I'm a scholar on Citizen Kane, and I'm a scholar on uh, Heart of Darkness, or Apocalypse Now, but the book is Heart of Darkness. Oh, great. So we'll do another podcast about Colonel Kurtz. But I, I just mainly just like movies and let them wash over me and try not to analyze too hard. But it would be interesting to hear what Stephen King would think. But what I think is I think Percy is a good personification of some. there are good people and there are bad people and then there are evil people. And I think that Percy represents evil. Honestly, like it's like there's he represents anarchy, chaos, all the things we can't predict. And it comes in such the most unexpected package, which is this little man that like you watch him walk down the street and you see him open a door for an old lady and you go, what a nice young man. And as you turn your head, he trips the old lady and you're like, he opened the door so he could trip this lady. Like that is a level of evil that I think Stephen King is very familiar with. And to put it in such a figure like Percy Wetmore and to and to name him that too. There's something about his name that feels like belittling. Like there's something that feels so like Percy Wetmore, the wallflower. And they, there's even like one of the characters in the movie, Ed, Edward Delacroix, who pl- is played by Michael Jeter, the late Michael Jeter, brilliantly, who meets his end because of Percy in one of the most brutal fashions, was very close to when I was taking out of the movie theater. He sings a song about him, which it makes perfect sense. It's like per- he, t- he sings like sort of like, chi- like a schoolyard rhyme about Percy Wetmore because he wets his pants when he gets scared, which I think is also a great a little detail that Stephen King added because that is a serial killer's detail. One of the things about serial killers is they wet their they wet their bed at, at, into adulthood. Huh. And so the idea that Percy wets his pants when he's scared is this interesting like, yes, yes, it's embarrassing, but it's also terrifying because it, it you know, that I, I've seen this movie so many times that I, I watch it with so many lenses. But I think that Stephen King was trying to show us like evil doesn't necessarily need to have horns and red skin. Evil can just wear a nice suit to work and say, how do you do? You know, evil's evil's capable of saying hello. It's that everyday evil that we all see. Yeah. Do you think he deserved his fate? <laughs> we're, we're already at his fate. Well, I mean, I mean, more or less. I mean, we, since we were talking about you know all the shit that you know he caused right. at this point. Now. So here's let me. I'll run, but I want to run through what he caused because yes. I think it is. I think it is worth. It is worth knowing the build to the thing. He he is he is unafraid from the very beginning to to end things. He tries desperately to kill a mouse, Mr. Jingles, which is Edouard Delacroix's mouse by because he found him and is his favorite thing in the mm-hmm. world. And he's teaching him tricks, and all that kind of stuff. He goes out of his way to try and brutalize this mouse. He never, never succeeds. And it makes him crazy and they all laugh at him. And 
which makes him more and more and more upset. He ends up breaking the fingers of Edouard Delacroix after a after he's uh, chased his mouse and Edouard gives him a, uh, a sort of a sideward look. Breaks his fingers. That's step two. Step three, and the next two steps are where the evil comes through. Because this is just brutality. We've seen that. He's a prison guard. Edward is on death row. And so Edward, his, his final wish is to have Mr. Jingles go to a place called Mouseville, which is a place that the, uh, which is a place that Tom Hanks's character, I can't remember his name in the, 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 the character's name, promises him that when he's dead, he will take this mouse, Mr. Jingles, to Mouseville, where he will do all sorts of tricks at the circus, and he will be like the best mouse, giving Edward one last wonderful glimpse of like positivity before he hits death row. Now... <laughs> <laughs> that's the the worst setup because it's, it's a great setup because i'm about to break everyone's heart who's never seen this yeah and also by the oh. way spoiler alert i guess but it's been out for a long time and the book's been out longer so when they are preparing edward for the chair the real the real day of the chair and there's a crowd and he is has apologized he says i'm sorry for what i am I'm sorry for what i've done uh, to the whole crowd and right before they put the hood over his head the last thing he sees is Percy, who gets in his line of view and says, there's no such thing as Mouseville. They were just telling you that to make you feel better. Oh, and then, God. so that's three, right? That's three. Now four, four is where it gets. You think that's the worst because you that, that punches you in the gut. Now, you see in the movie earlier that the right way to execute somebody at that time was before you put the actual helmet on the death row chair, which is the thing that conducts the electricity into your brain. The way to conduct the electricity directly into your brain is they put a wet sponge underneath it. Percy is charged with this job for whatever reason, because he's the, he's the governor's nephew and he wants to be there on this day to learn. So you think, and he knows that you've seen him. You have to wet the sponge. And on that day, he pretends to wet the sponge and puts a dry sponge on Edouard Delacroix's head, which means the electric chair starts to cook him alive. And he watches it. And this is where it gets so sick and human. When he is getting electrocuted, even Percy, which reminds everybody he's human, can't look and he turns away. Yeah. And then the guards, the other guards who were Edouard Delacroix's friend, make him watch. And he watches. And afterwards, he's sh- he's shaken. But the minute he is confronted about it, he puts up back up this wall that's like, what are you going to do? Like, whatever. I mean, I might just stay here. I might just make this a living for myself. And it's gone. I mean, like that moment of empathy, that moment of sympathy, the moment of humanity is gone. I mean, it's re- and it's really gone. So that all being said, the way he meets his fate, which is very odd because it does take this weird science fiction bent, is this prisoner, Michael Clark Duncan, who plays uh, John Coffey, who is this sort of miracle man. He can, he can cure people by touching them and taking the disease or whatever they have in them out of them and taking it on himself, which he's done his whole life, which is why he is unafraid to die at the end, because it's just too much. This movie is so goddamn emotional, it's like crazy. Oh, sure. It's so emotional. And when Percy is gloating, he gets just a little too close to John Coffey's cell, and John Coffey grabs him and puts all the badness that he had in him into Percy. And it's so all, and it's and in the movie, it's sort of like the way it's manifest, there's always like little like black gnats and they fly into his mouth, and it's too much. And so Percy ends up becoming catatonic, like catatonically filled with bad. Like he, is, he basically like turns into the thing he always was meant to turn into. He evolves into his, what they call, like, you know, the, the Pokemon nerds say, like he, he achieves his final form, basically, via John Coffey, and he pours all of his bad into him. 
And what ends up happening is he ends up shooting another prisoner on death row before his execution because he's doesn't he's out of it. He's a completely different thing. And then what you see at the end is sort of the great comeuppance, I think. It's a wonderful comeuppance for Percy is he doesn't die. What he ends up doing is he ends up spending his rest of his life in a mental institution where he sort of made fun of and was supposed to run. He was supposed to like take charge and run this place and he ends up becoming a patient and looking out a window and drooling, probably filled with all this you know, vitriol and disgustingness. So I do think, I mean, clearly I think that Stephen King wants to show us that he deserved everything he got, but it is a very, very, very brutal ending for a character. God, I, I recently revisited this movie when you first said this is what you wanted to talk about. I remember seeing it a long time ago and then every now and then it would pop up on TV, like on AMC or sure. something like that. And I would watch clips of it and, you know, obviously be enthralled every time, but I had never watched it from start to finish in, in a hot minute. I haven't yeah. done it. And watching it this weekend, I was just struck by the very first time we meet him. It's him leading John Coffey oh, into the death row air inmate Screaming. just yelling over and over dead man walking just oh and you're just like i have never wanted to punch somebody so quickly in such a short amount of time and how and the the the, the height difference and like you're seeing like just like exactly what the time i mean it's a it's a great moment for so many reasons but like maybe i am a scholar at this movie <laughs> but it's a great moment for so many different it shows it, it within that one shot small percy wetmore and enormous john coffee you see exactly what time period you're in. You don't need one subtitle to show you what era of uh, what era of the world we are living in. It is a small white man leading an enormous could break him in half. It, it, it could break him in half by accident. Black man walking as his sort of submissive, and it's just like it like hurts your eyes to watch. And especially because he keeps doubling down on it, dead man. And then finally, it takes the other guards to go. All right, enough. Jesus. What are you compensating for here? Well, and they tell him. They tell one of the things they try to instill in Percy in the movie is this is as bad as it's going to get for them. Your job is not to make it worse. Like they have, they're on death row. They have, if they've made it to the Green Mile, they've done their thing. They're about to go meet their maker. They, they they are they are accused and charged of the highest crime that there is. So your you making it worse is not your job. We're here to just make their lives all right before it's over. Like it's not what you think it is. Like that's what changed my mind. By the way, like I don't I've never been on a death row. Like I've never seen it. I've never been on death row, and I don't plan to be. It's interesting that like that was like yeah of course it is because their life is already miserable. So like why would you double down and do it? Which is why it makes his character so diabolical. And calculating because he just does it all movie. And but then when he's faced with a moment that genuinely is threatening to him, <laughs> uh, that, like that moment when Wild Bill first comes the in, best. just starts wailing on all the guards. He is frozen stiff. Yeah. He can't do anything. Right. And you know it, it comes into uh, I forget the other guard's name comes in and grabs his bat from him. And Br- I think his name is Brutal. In the, in brutal. The, yeah. Thank you. Or Brutus, but I call him Brutal. It's it is. I was so glad. I'm glad you brought that up because when push comes to shove, and it happens a number of times in the movie, and it ha- it really comes to a head even before he meets his his real end, where all the guards sort of corner him and and he tries the old my governor's my uncle routine, and they go I, we don't care, and he really gets threatened, and he really. You think for a second he gets scared. I believe that he is, but I think he's so defensive and his defense mechanism is to put that fuck you wall up 
that I do think when he's threatened with true danger, when Wild Bill grabs him, grab I think mm-hmm. he grabs he like fondles him, right? Well, yeah, um, he, he gets him in like a chokehold. Oh, and that's then right, and then he kisses him. And grabs and his dick. He gra- yeah, he grabs his he grabs his genitals and like and the kisses him on the cheek. And by, and by the way, you know Sam Rockwell again, like great villain, like which is which is this is why the movie is so great. The fact that you think that he's the big villain because <laughs> he is he that guy is unredeemable yeah he's the reason that john coffee is in prison in the first place he is definitely 100 percent a monster but he's not the monster yes no that's right he's mag- by the way this is like magnificently played by sam rockwell and it's sort of in a performance where you didn't equate it with sam rockwell at first you're sort of like he wasn't sam rockwell yet you know yeah he was just an excellent actor it's like an excellent character man in that movie but yeah, I think that like it's a good red herring to be like, oh, we're going to have to watch out for this guy. And you do, but Percy's like the true sleeper hit of the movie about who's the worst. It's institutionalized evil. It's it's that level of, you know, yeah, you've got this this guy that clearly is a murderer and is and has killed people and all these things and is going to die for. Yeah, it. he's incarcerated. But then you have <laughs> But yeah, the other guy is being paid. Yep. He's walking free to to brutalize and and uh, and to to make fun of and to, uh, you know, because he's homophobic. He is he's racist. He's misogynistic and and all of that into one little sort of fun size person, <laughs> you know, like which I think is why it's so brilliant is because it's like he's so you're like, why is you because know, you're sitting there watching this going like, why does anyone just punch him? But they, they can't. And you know that they want to. There's so many times that you can tell, like, it's all they could do just to... And, and finally, I think it's after um, What's-His-Name gets the chair and after he completely botches the whole thing that uh, he, like, yeah, throws out a... Yeah. yeah, he throws out a snide remark and, and Brutal's like, yeah, you know what? Throws yeah, a good one does. just right on him. And you're just like, thank you. Finally, somebody did it. No, it's really, it's that moment in a lot of people's lives. I think like, you know, I'm not, the, I'm not the only person that's quit a job mid shift, but like I did quit a job. I had a boss that like was awful. Like just like, you know, and really treated us like garbage. And I remember like, I, I just had had enough. And I, and the whole time, every time I had had enough, which was millions of times, I was like, well, I can't just quit. Like, I don't have anything to go. I don't, I need money. And finally just got to the point where I became brutal and she was Percy. And I said, you know what? If you want to take care. And I dropped my apron and I walked out of the restaurant and I was like, and you felt great. Cause you're mm-hmm. like, that's the thing I wanted to do. You're like, give me an I excuse. I defeated evil. Yeah. I defeated, e- I defeated evil. And then I needed to come back like in three days to pick up my paycheck that I had already earned. <laughs> but like, I was making sure that, that Percy wasn't there. Ugh. So you said that you've both read the serialized novel and obviously have seen the movie, which made a big impact on you. Yeah. Are there any major differences between the two? Not any that are like in my, it's been a while since I've read it, but from what I remember there, it's pretty pound for pound, the same story. Like they did a really good job adapting it. I'm just trying to think like, cause I know Percy is also sort of a porn has a porn addiction. Yeah. Which might be played up more in the book which just kind of makes him more just again, like just like a, like an adolescent, you know? And I think that in the, in the book and I may be wrong and that's okay. Um, cause it makes me, again, makes me want to read this all again. I think he feels more like an adolescent in the book. Whereas, um, what's his name? Someone Hutchinson plays him in the movie. I can't remember. Doug Hutchinson. Doug Hutchinson plays him in the movie and Doug Hutchinson sort of has like a small man quality, but he feels like a man. I think in the book, I was always envisioning somebody who was like, you know, college or like, like, you know, intern age, 
Yeah. Like somebody who was, and, and again, I think they cast it brilliantly in the movie, but I, I think in the book, as far as how I read it, I think that the big difference, what it is, how it feels, it feels younger um, than everybody, which again, like only speaks to how great it is in your head. Cause it's like that, even that, yeah. And like, you know, you have all these like tenured, you know, correctional officers or guards that are all having to like sort of kowtow to this essential teenager, which by the way, I think that's how Doug Hutchinson played it no matter what. So it makes me actually think that that's how it was written in the book. Cause Doug Hutchinson played it like a sort of like snub nosed pug faced teenager. Oh, sure. Yeah. He's like, you know, he's like the ultimate, I like, he's the sharpest version of, I know you are, but what am I, you mm-hmm. know, like there's just nothing you can do about that. And it's so frustrating. And then on top of that, he like really wants people to, to suffer. Final thoughts. Sure. What does Percy Wetmore mean to you personally? He's my idol, my personal hero. <laughs> um, <laughs> this whole time. What a twist. Well, you know, one thing, I'm a big Stephen King fan. I'm, it's not a very controversial statement. No. You know, many people don't know this, but I'm a huge Stephen King fan. Um, <laughs> but what I think, you know, what does he mean to me is it's, any any character like that that you start to even see yourself in a little bit, you, it is a good reminder that you need to maybe check yourself before you wreck yourself. Anytime you sort of like find yourself even like slightly chuckling at a, a person like that is for me, at least when I go to sleep at night, I'm like, that didn't that doesn't feel right. Like it's it's a good person to me is a good bellwether to like how anyone should not live their life. You know, so if 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 any of those boxes get ticked even slightly when I am in my life and I, I don't think about it every day, but I think of some sort of checklist of like, these are like bad traits. These are good traits. And hopefully the good traits check boxes are checked more often than the bad traits. And so I think Percy is just a good reminder. I think that's what is a, he's a good reminder that, that bad people and evil people are people, <laughs> you know, yeah. like they're not, they're not monsters. They're not fictional. They're not science fiction or fantasy characters. And like, it's it all it takes is the wrong anything to turn you into that. And so it, it is a nice reminder to sort of keep going like I am a good person. I, I am a good person. And, and at the very least, and this is supposed to be funny, so please laugh, everybody. Um <laughs> already laughing, Rob. Thank you. Yeah, I got you. Is, is that I could say at the end of the day, I think no matter how my day goes, well, at least I'm not as bad as fucking Percy Wetmore. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much for being on the show, Alex. This was sure. I love talking treat. about this stuff. I love talking. This is this is this is the kind of stuff that I can will talk someone's ear off about. So I'm glad that there's a, a platform to do it. Well, we'll have to get you back on at some point in the future to uh, talk about some other villains that you have in your back pocket. <laughs> Colonel Kurtz. Yeah, yeah. That, that'll have to be a three and a half hour episode because you, you, I sincerely don't imagine no one has enough time for me right this moment to talk about that. We'll make sure, to especially make it a now, whole especially now episode. in our life right now, where we are in America, nobody has enough time for me right now for me to talk about Apocalypse Now. <laughs> hey, you know what? You've heard it here first, uh, <laughs> season two. That's what we're gonna do. That's right, baby. I'm going to leave a link for the Arthritis Foundation in the description below. Uh, Alex, is there anything that you would like to say about them? I mean, I, I, any, you know, here's the thing, really. I, I, you asked me to pick a foundation. I, any foundation that is good for anybody works for me. Um, right now, they're raising money. I mean, I don't care when this goes out or I don't know when it goes out. But right now, they're raising money for the Jingle Bell Run, which is like you can, you know, usually they do like kind of a walkathon for just people that suffer from different types of arthritis. My wife has what's called spondyloarthritis which and and it's you know a lot of people have it and and so she's raising money uh for that but i think in general 
it's nice to raise money for people in pain. So that is my thing. And we'll be walking a 5K on December 11th. You know, the thing with the Jingle Bell Run this time around is that people are just sort of on the honor system. If they're not going to donate or they can't donate or they're not in a financial position to donate, they can walk their own 5K and just sort of just do it. And why not, right? Get some fresh air. And, you know, if you're in New York, you can come freeze your balls off and, and walk with us. And yeah, it's just a good foundation. It's something I'm still learning about, but, you know, it's obviously close to my life. And uh, I think it's a good one. I always I always typically do the Actors Fund, which please feel free, by the way, everybody. Naturally. Actors Fund. Or any Black Lives Matter organization that, that tickles your fancy. May I suggest Black Girls Code? Great. It's one of my favorites. And But I think, yeah, for the, specifically for this one, yeah, please drop the link to the Arthritis Foundation. I think that uh, give them a look, see what it's all about. Know that a lot of people, uh, you know, have it and it's something to be talked about and donated to. That Yeah. Couldn't have said it better myself. Alex, thank you so much. My pleasure. Thank you so much. Thank you to Ross Lampert for composing the theme song to this podcast. He is a brilliant, brilliant dude. And if you're in the market for any sort of music production needs, head on over to his website at daggerinink.com. And thank you, listener, for carving out a little bit of time for us today. We're going to be off for the next few weeks for the holidays, but never fear. We're going to be back with even more deep dives into your favorite villains come January. If you like this show, please consider following us on Facebook and Instagram at Villainology Podcast. Tell your friends about us. Pass us on if you like what we've got going on. Uh, give us a review and uh, give us a comment on who you would like to see discussed next. And hopefully we'll see you next time. Stay foolish, mortals. <laughs>